0: Well, hey, uh, good morning, uh, LifePoint Online. Grateful to be with you this morning. Uh, LifePoint family, welcome back. Uh, Guests, we're grateful to have you here uh, with us today. If uh, we haven't had a chance to meet, my name's Cale. I'm the teaching pastor uh, at our Delaware campus. Uh, Before we jump in, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 3. But before we jump in this morning, just want to mention a couple of things. Uh, One, our, our life groups are launching uh, today, actually, all of our groups launch this week. Uh, we take a few-week break, and then we relaunch all of our groups. Those groups are all open life groups, if you don't know, uh, small groups that meet. Uh, some meet at our facilities, but, but most, by design, meet in homes uh, throughout the week. They meet weekly or over the summer every other week. And uh, the goal is, in life group, that you would connect relationally and take a next step spiritually. So we gather to study the Word, to worship, to pray together, uh, but also just to do life together. And I, uh, one of our community life pastors, Kevin at the, the Delaware campus, he sent to me just some, some quotes. He said, I asked some of our life group leaders to give me some feedback on what's just gone well over the last term of life groups. And I just think this is so encouraging. Some of our Uh, Folks said, hey, we all take responsibility for caring for each other. We've assigned various jobs and tasks and roles to those who are gifted in particular areas. We helped move one of the families into their new home. These are all statements from different groups. We've seen God answer a number of our group's prayers this past term. Uh, We've had new folks jumping into groups, some who've never been part of a group before. Relationships are strong. We seem to all genuinely like spending time with each other outside of group time, which is one of our sort of parameters for success, is when the group is spending time outside of group, such a good thing. Another group said, relationships are great. The men are very willing to be vulnerable and open and open up. And I thought, That's not something you hear uh, every day, but praise God it's happening. Uh, A new couple that just committed their lives to Christ is in our group. Folks connecting with each other outside of group, having dinner together. Again, the goal here is not just a Bible study. Um, It it is doing life with one another. Connecting relationally, taking a next step spiritually, uh, helping one another, spurring one another on towards good works and holiness, helping each other walk faithfully and healthfully. With Jesus and doing that in the context of relationships. So if you don't have a life group yet. Uh, we've got a group for you. Uh, y- if you have the ability to be at one of our campuses in person, you can grab a life group catalog. If not, you can always email us, any of the community life pastors at any campus or a staff member. We would love to help you uh, get into a group. The next steps button there uh, where you're watching, that's another avenue you can say to say, hey, I need to get into a life group. You can connect with us there. We want to help you get into a group and so please if you don't have one reach out to us. The second thing I'll say is don't forget that we are in the middle right now of our reading through the Gospel of Luke. As we study the Gospel of Luke, we've encouraged everyone and challenged everyone across the whole church Read the Gospel of Luke over the course of May, a chapter a day taking Sundays off. And so we're at chapter 12. Tomorrow, Monday, we're gonna be chapter 13. We're right at the midway point. So don't give up. Thank you for all who have been doing this and joining along. I hope it's been uh, fruitful for you and helpful. And don't forget, hashtag LP Bible, hashtag LP Bible. You can join the conversation at Twitter or Facebook or Instagram as we just share some of our insights with each other. Uh, I've enjoyed getting on and seeing some of those comments and insights along the way. So don't forget, uh, finish well over these next two weeks as we study the Gospel of Luke and read the Gospel of Luke together. Now, as we've been in this series, going through the Gospel of Luke, we've just called it Labels. The big idea of the series is the Gospel calls us to a life above labels. That The Gospel calls us to a life above the labels. One of the fascinating things about reading through the Gospel of Luke is that you see Jesus repeatedly going to people who had been labeled by society. And we've talked about this pretty much every week. We live in a culture where, I mean, you just, it's labeling people divisive. You're in this camp. I'm in this camp. Uh, and, and we look back in the, Old, in the New Testament, though, and you, and you see the same thing happening in some ways where people look at others and say, okay, they're sinners. They're tax collectors. We don't like them. These people are lepers, right? They need to be outside the camp. This group, right, those people are, they're the bad people. We're the religious people. We're the good people. We're the Jewish people. You're the Gentile people. It's these camps and labels and divisions. And and Jesus has this extraordinary way of going to people, those who have been perhaps most labeled by society and saying, hey, let's step past those. You come follow me. Tax collector, come follow me. Sinner, I came for you. You come follow me. And we've said it right. The, the only label we should carry, uh, if I can say it that way, is really that of Christ follower. God's son, God's daughter, redeemed by grace. And the gospel calls us to a life above labels. Now, in Luke chapter 1, in Luke chapter 2, we've seen how uh, Luke tells us, the doctor who traveled with the apostle Paul, he sort of sets the stage and tells us, look, um, it, the angels come, uh, Gabriel comes to Zechariah and Elizabeth and talks to them about they're going to have a baby, John the Baptist, two miraculous births, John the Baptist, who is the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies, um, that that he's going to come and prepare the way for the Messiah. And then we get into the sort of traditional Christmas narrative where Gabriel tells Mary, you're going to have a child, and he's going to be called the Son of God, right, Christ the Lord And then you get into Luke 3, and we kind of go back to John the Baptist, and we look at specifically his ministry of preparing people for the coming of Christ. So that's where we pick up here in Luke chapter 3. It says this in verse 1. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of the uh, the region of uh, Iteria and Trachonitis and uh, Lysanias. I'm I'm not even sure, to be honest, if I'm pronouncing all of these correctly. I've heard them probably different ways. Tetrarch of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas uh, and Caiaphas. And I just want to pause there and say, what's he doing here? Like, why does he start? That's the third time now, chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three, third time where he started in the reign of, during the time of, in this year of, why does, why does Luke keep telling us these things? The reason he's doing that is because, so, so I'll put it this way. There are two kinds of stories, right? There's once upon a time, and then there's, hey, in this year this happened. There's once upon a time, let me tell you a story that's going to teach you a good moral lesson. It doesn't matter whether it happened or not. The point is to teach the moral lesson. And then there's the Hey, in 1907, this happened. In 1929, right, the stock market crashed. In 1945, World War II ended. In 1960, in 1970, in 1980, in 2001, this happened. There's two different types of story. One, let me teach you a moral lesson. Once upon a time. Two, at this time, these things happened in history. And yes, they might teach us lessons, but they're also factual. I mean, they're facts. It's history. And Luke is very clear, goes to painstaking detail and effort to tell us the story of Christ is not, hey, once upon a time. It's a little legend or myth, teaches us some nice lessons. No, 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 no. It's during this time, during this person's reign, when Herod was in charge, when Pontius Pilate was the governor, when Caesar Augustus, Romans chapter 2, when he uh, had the census taken all over the Roman world, during this time, these things really happened. We saw in chapter one that Luke dedicated the whole book to a guy named Theophilus, and he says, I want you to know with certainty the things that you've been taught. I want you to know with certainty the things that you have been taught. And so let me lay it out for you. Historically, this is what happened at real times, in real places, Jesus, John the Baptist. These things are not myth or legend. It says this there in the end of verse 2, The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A Baptism of repentance. Repentance literally means to change one's mind, right? To turn from this and to turn to something else. In the Bible, right, it's, it's turning from sin to pursue Christ, And so it's this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins to say, hey, you need to turn away from sin and be ready to receive your Messiah, the one who's to come. That's what John, he's trying to get the people ready for the coming of Christ. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from your pride. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 4, as it is written in the book of the words, of Isaiah the prophet, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, he's about to quote from Isaiah, and I just want to note, we've talked about this over and over, John coming onto the scene is not like a random, hey, there was this guy named John. He was pretty cool. It's, he is stepping into John as a part of redemptive history. The Old Testament, Malachi, Isaiah talked about the coming of John the Baptist, And so he's going to quote from Isaiah to say, do we realize, do you realize the things that are happening right now are not random? They've been part of the plan. This is what God has been doing for thousands of years since the very beginning, and then hundreds of years ago spoke through the prophets about the coming of John, who would prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. And so he says, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. Literally, that's they will be humbled, right? Again, there's a big theme here of take away the pride, humble yourself. Repent of the pride, humble yourself. Obstacles are going to be moved for the way of Christ. The crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh All people will see the salvation of God. I want to pause there on verse 6 and just ask this question. Who is the gospel for? Right? To whom is the gospel aimed? Who is it for? Is it Jewish people? Just the people there in Jerusalem and Judea? Is it for Americans? (laughs) Of course not. Right? It starts, it's, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to what? To the very ends of the earth. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. All right? So here it is, right? Here's the point. The gospel is for all people, for all places. You might say in all times, right? The gospel is for all people in all places. Wherever you are right now, just say that out loud. The gospel is for all people in all places. It's not aimed at one people group. It's not about your ethnicity. It's not about your socioeconomic status or your level of education. It is for all people, for all places. As Jesus came, yes, he started in one locality, but it's, hey, it's so that all flesh may see the salvation of God. God's promise to Abraham was what? And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed for all people, for all places. And what's so encouraging to me, so sometimes I can get a little bit caught on like just the here and now, like what's God doing in my life? What's God doing in the life of our church? What's God doing in my family? And I get kind of caught looking right in front of me and it's so healthy and helpful to look up and to say, what is God doing around the globe as the mission of God moves forward? God is doing this right now taking right through his people, taking the gospel to all peoples across the world. I was listening this week uh, to a a missionary named Steve Robinson. And uh, you can actually listen to this message. It's called The Surprising Call of God. He was teaching at the Village Church down in Texas a couple of weeks ago. And he was really sharing the story. He was teaching from Jonah, but he was sharing the story of his parents 60 years ago, they moved to New Guinea And when they went to New Guinea, they took him, he was a baby, and they were there trying to reach certain people groups there with the gospel. And they got there and they said, hey, there's this tribe, this people group that we know of, and they're uh, up the river a long ways and in the jungle, and they've not been reached. There's no gospel presence there at all. They don't know about Jesus the reality is we don't know whether you'll live or not. If you go there, they might kill you. And his parents go. And, and you should take the 35 minutes to listen to the message. Again, it's called The Surprising Call of God. You can find it if you go to podcasts or if you go to Vimeo whatever. You just put in The Surprising Call of God at the Village Church. But the way in which God had prepared this people group to receive the gospel, I'll come back to it at the end of our time today, was just Incredible. But I'll make a long story short, 60 years ago, no gospel presence whatsoever. Nobody there knows about Jesus. They don't even know who he is, let alone what he's done for them. And today, not only does that group of people know and love Jesus, they've actually made a pact with some of the people groups around them that they used to war with, enemy groups, and they've made a pact to say, we're going to take the gospel to other people groups around us that don't know and love Jesus. That transformation over 60 years as the gospel has taken root. And that's happening all over the world, right? There are, there are more than 17,000 people groups in the world, uh, 7,500 roughly still have very uh, little to no presence, evangelical presence in there. They're considered unreached people groups, sometimes with little or no access to the gospel. And we're seeing God, this has been going on for thousands of years now, God using his people, the church, us, to participate in the mission of taking the gospel to every people group, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, so that all flesh shall see the salvation of God. I'm, I'm really excited. So we mentioned a couple of months ago, we, you know, we've started this partnership with FAM, For All Mankind Movement, and, and just in India alone, in the nation of India so we're, we're, they work primarily, well, they work in many places. They've asked us to work in the north of India. And by God's grace, hopefully we will be on the ground there at some point in time. Right now, we've been able to financially participate and through prayer and relief efforts, hopefully we'll get to be on the ground at some point in time. But just there in the north of India uh, or, or in, uh, across the nation, 90%. So if you look at the whole nation of India, 90% of the people there are considered unreached. Of the thousands of people groups there, 90% of the people groups, it's over a billion people have sometimes little or no access to the gospel, little to no evangelical presence in their midst, don't know Jesus, don't know what he's done, and God calls us, hey, I want you to be a part of being in this plan and acting this plan of, of Taking the gospel so that all people in all places may see and know and love the Lord. To me, that excites me. I hope that excites you to see your life and say, hey, it's not just, I'm not here by accident. And I have, I'm part of this grand story. My life has such, if you want to know like, what's my purpose? It is to glorify God and to part, to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. To make disciples. And we as a church get to participate. We as as people get to participate in that incredible drama happening and unfolding across the entire globe. It's exciting to be a part of. The gospel is for all people in all places. Now, let's go back to the text. Verse seven, you've got John out in the wilderness trying to, (laughs) preparing the way for the Lord, trying to get the people in their hearts ready for the coming of Christ. And tons of people are coming out to him. And verse seven is where things get uh, a little bit interesting. So look at this. He said, tons of people coming out to him to be baptized. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to him to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. (laughs) It's not exactly like a welcoming, hi, everybody, good morning, you snakes. And Matthew tells us that it seems like maybe he's aiming that a little bit more specifically at the Pharisees and the religious leaders who are coming out and based on the context and what he's about to say, it seems like some of them are maybe coming out there not really in genuine repentance, but like, yeah, we just need to get baptized, kind of check the box, make sure we're in the kingdom and we're good. And he says, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? That's a reference to the wrath of God against sin. Right, the, the justice of God and the judgment of God against sin. He says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. What does he mean by that? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. John is about to give some very practical advice here in a bit about like, hey, what do you do in this situation? What do you do? What, is, what, is, uh, what do those fruits look like? He's not saying, he's not talking about you need to do X, Y, and Z so that God will love you. No, no, no. He's saying, hey, if there's been genuine repentance, if you really have turned from your sin and you want, you're asking God for the forgiveness of your sin, if this baptism isn't just a ritual for you, but an actual expression of your heart to God to say, I want to follow you, he says, then, then your life's going to produce that. Your life's going to, there'll be life change. Genuine repentance means, yes, the change of heart or mind, but it results in life change. And so he says, then you should be bearing fruit that, res, that, that is a result of that genuine repentance. And then he says this, And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. We have it, we're Jewish, we're good. He says, don't even begin to say that. For I tell you, God is able from these stones, from these rocks to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire." The tree there, oftentimes Israel in the Bible is represented as a tree. And what he's saying is, look, you can't just sit there and say, even though I'm still walking in sin and pride and rebellion against God, but you know what? I'm Jewish. I mean, I'm part of the covenant community. I'm good. He says it doesn't work that way, right? Christ is here. The kingdom is coming Jesus is coming. The king, and if you want to know if you're in the kingdom or not in the kingdom, it's not about well, my spiritual heritage or my ethnicity or uh, you know, hey, I've got a lot of education. No, 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 no. He's like, you got to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Don't begin to say, well, we've got Abraham as our father, because oftentimes the Jewish people would do that. They would say, look, we got the law of Moses. I'm Jewish, I've got the right pedigree, therefore, clearly, I'm a good person, and I'm in the kingdom. And he says, God can raise up children of Abraham from rocks if he wants. Now, let's just put this into perspective for you and for me, because I think maybe some of us are like, how is this relevant to me at all? Right? I, don't, I don't say that, I'm not like, I'm children of Abraham, I'm not even Jewish, so we say it more like this. This has been my experience living here in the Midwest, is you ask people, like, are you a Christian? And the response often is this, something like this. Yeah, I mean, we grew up Methodist. Or, yeah, yeah, folks are Lutheran. Uh, or, you know, we're Catholic. Or, <clears throat> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we're, yeah, definitely a Christian. Believe in God. And uh, we went to church growing up. And I wonder if John the Baptist, if his response to that would be, man, That's not really what I asked. (laughs) Um, God can raise up churchgoers from rocks if he wants. God can raise up churchgoers from the stones if he wants. The question is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Does your life show evidence of repentance? Is it bearing fruit? Do you have peace with the Father through the Son? And can I just challenge, so for those of us listening online right now, right, when it comes to like, God is not interested in just churchgoers, right? And just you sitting, listening, leaving, not, not engaging. So if you're listening to me right now and you're like, Kale, man, I would so love to be in person. I wanna be serving. But like, I, you know, Sunday mornings work, right? You've got work, can't be there. Uh, maybe you're still dealing with some illness or some sort of health concern that you're like, I still can't gather with other people. Look, listen, man, we've designed this for you. Like some, praise God, you're able to utilize this resource. We wanna help you. But if you're sitting there listening to me right now and you're like, look, Cale, if I'm honest, I'm in my pajamas and drinking coffee right now and I have zero reason not to be engaged in the life of the church. I know that I should be there in person. I know that I should be serving. I need to be on a team. I, I'm not in a life group. I, I mean, I'm really not like I'm, I'm tuning in because it's easier. And then I click off and then I, it, you know, I'll see you next Sunday Maybe. Can I just challenge you? Don't stay there. Rocks can do that, right? Like a rock can sit there and look at the screen. You can point the rock toward the screen and give it a cup of coffee. Like move past that. God has so much more for you than that. It's, don't, don't sit and say, well, I mean, I tune in. Yeah, like I, I sort of attend. No, 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 no. Like, do you have a relationship with Christ? We don't. We want you to not just say, "Hey, I'm a church goer," or "Yeah, I've got some spiritual heritage." No, no. no. We want you to be able to say, "I have a re- a relationship with Jesus. I am joyfully following Him, experiencing gospel life because I've repented of sin, put my faith in Christ. I know that I have peace with the Father through Christ. Don't rely on." Church attendance or, hey, we went to church growing up to think, yeah, that definitely means I'm in the kingdom. No, 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 no. The pursuit of Christ. Verse 10, and the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them. This is where he gets into some of the practical. They're like, well, what does that repentance look like in some of our lives? And he says this, whoever has two tunics, right? That's a a tunic was a, a garment they wore. He says, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. So he says one of the fruits of repentance is generosity. Is your life generous? Is it marked by generosity? By giving to others, recognizing that God entrusts us with more than we need when he does that so that we can help those in need. Verse 12. Tax collectors also came to him to be baptized. I'll just pause there for a second. Everyone hates tax collectors in their culture. They worked for the Roman government, so they worked for the man. They were sellouts, and they were notorious for taking more money than they were supposed to. They would take, they're like, yeah, your tax is actually this, and then they would just pocket the extra. So the Jewish people hated their Jewish brothers who were tax collectors. I mean, really, they're like, they're, you are the worst. And so they're coming out to be baptized, and he's like, what do we do? And he's teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Integrity, honesty, integrity. Those are fruits of repentance, right? Life change. Don't, don't collect more than what you're supposed to. Be honest. Verse 14, soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And I love that he doesn't look at them and say, you need to immediately quit your jobs, right? How could you possibly, you know, be a assault- No, no, no. He's like, and he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. <laughs> don't extort money. Don't take, don't, don't abuse your authority and be content. Honesty, integrity, and contentment. That's a whole sermon for another day. Like, (laughs) I just loved it. When do we ever hear in our culture, like in our American fast-paced, like get it, climb the ladder, do better. When do you ever hear someone look at you and say, you know what, I I think you probably just make enough money. Uh, Just be content. No need to like try to get the the next level, right? No need to make more. Like when do we ever look at ourselves and say, Lord, I think I have enough. I just think I don't need any more. I don't think that's gonna help. Like, I'm content with what I have. And yet here John the Baptist, look at them going, just be content with your wages. Contentment, it's wonderful. Not constantly striving for more, more, more. That's gonna somehow fill my soul, but just saying, you know what? I think I have what I need. And I should focus my attention on, Lord, what do you want me to do with what you've given me? Not how can I amass more? Just so radically different. Verse 15, as the people were in expectation... And all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John, are you the guy? And John's like, no, no, no. I'm the guy who came just to set the table for the guy, just to prepare the way for the guy. Look at John's answer. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water. He's like, there's nothing magical about the water here, guys. I'm not saving you. I'm trying to get you ready to be saved. I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And I I just want to pause there because you probably get like, that's a statement of extreme humility. I'm not unworthy to untie the man's shoes. But it actually goes deeper than that. So that job, untying the dirty, um, and just remember they walked on really dusty, gross streets that often had animal like dung on it. And so like, so who gets to untie the uh, I, I'm just going to say it, like poop covered sandals, right? That people, nasty, sweaty, dirty sandals. So it was not reserved just for servants. It was actually worse than that. They wouldn't let, specifically, they would not let non-Jewish or, or Jewish servants do this. It was reserved solely for non-Jewish servants, which is, I mean, racist and wrong, But but it illustrates the point, right? That like they literally looked at their society and said, Who's the lowest on the totem pole? And they said, You get to do that job. And John's like, I'm not even worthy to do that job for Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus looks at, tells, about, tells the people, John's the greatest person ever born of woman, but the, the least in the kingdom. When you trust Christ and you're in the kingdom, he's like, You're greater than the, the greatest human greatness. To be reconciled to the Father and in the kingdom, he's like, that puts you even above the greatest you can gain on on this earth, in a sense. John's like, I'm not even worthy to untie. I'm not worthy to do the least job to Jesus in my own strength or in my own right. But that's why all of us should be able to say, oh, Lord, give me that kind of humility. And also, man, on my own, apart from Christ, like this is my position. And yet Jesus calls us friend, brother, sister, son and daughter, by grace through faith. It just, uh, the kindness and the mercy of God. He goes on and says, Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I think the baptism, right, with the Holy Spirit refers to the salvation that Jesus gives and the fact that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us with fire. I I think that's a reference to judgment giving the context of the next statement. Those who don't trust Christ. He says this in verse 17 his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Let me just explain what he's talking about there. Um, When they would... Uh, gather the wheat in the harvest, right? A winnowing fork, they would put it on something called a threshing floor. They would use a winning fork, they'd put it and they'd throw it up, almost like a pitching fork, right? And they would, or pitchfork, and they would throw it up in the air. The wheat, the heavier wheat would fall back to the ground. The chaff, it's almost like the straw, would blow away in the wind. That's how they would separate the good from the bad. And then they would take the chaff that had blown away and maybe accumulated and they would burn it for fuel. And so he's saying, look, Jesus's winnowing fork is in his hand to discern, men who is in the kingdom and who is not. And it's a reference to hell and to judgment and to heaven and to eternal life with Christ. And then verse 18 says this, and I just, we're gonna, we're gonna pause on this. So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. <laughs> he preached good news to the people. Does that strike anyone else? Uh, this is one of the things that struck me, right? Was you're reading this and you're like, Okay, unquenchable fire, uh, the wrath of God, right? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Winnowing fork is in his hand, separating the good from the bad. And then he's like, and he just kept preaching the good news. And if you're not careful, you kind of look at it and you're like, where's the good news? right? I mean, this is some really heavy stuff, John. And you have to pause and say, how does, how does the wrath of God, how does unquenchable fire and wrath and judgment against sin... Where, like, how does this work with good news? And this is something we've talked about before. I, there's a temptation to say, hey, let's just never talk about like God's justice or his righteous anger against sin because that doesn't make us feel good. Let's, let's focus exclusively on the mercy and the grace of God and the love of God. And, and the trouble is when you do that, you rob, you, you pull the value, the incredible nature of the mercy and love of God right out from under it when you say, hey, I don't want to think about a God who's ever angry at sin, it's like, well, then what's the big deal with forgiveness? If you and I don't need saving, then Jesus being savior doesn't mean a whole lot. If, if there's not like real justice against sin, then what is Jesus doing at the cross where he's saying that I'm taking the sin of the world on myself? But when you allow yourself to go there and you just look at the text and say, man, this is what it says. And, and God, there is just wrath against sin, and and I was under that. In fact, Ephesians chapter two, right? The, The way Paul puts this in Ephesians two is he says, we were by nature children of wrath. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him. You see, you see it all over the scriptures, saying, hey, this was our position before Christ. He says, children of wrath, under the wrath of God, because of our rebellion against him. But God, being rich in mercy, has made a way for us to be saved, to be forgiven, to be washed clean. So when you look at John and he's saying these things like brood of vipers, you're like, man, why is John so angry? It's, he is not just yelling at them for the sake of yelling. He's saying, I want you guys to be saved. I want you guys to be forgiven. I want you to experience cleanness. Man, if you're broken, you can be made whole. That darkness you feel, light can expel that darkness. Right? That that hurt that you feel, there's, there's healing in Christ. That pride that you're walking in, man, humble yourself and you can experience the grace and love of God. Why? Because Jesus took it on the cross for you. Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied and every sin on him was laid. And here in the death of Christ, we live. You live, I can live. Once children of wrath, now children of grace because of what Jesus did for us at the cross, because of the coming of Messiah, the way for us to be saved, to be at peace with God. I mentioned earlier I'll close with this. I mentioned earlier uh, the story just about hearing from Steve Robinson and his parents going to this, uh, this group of people, this people group. There was no, no access to the gospel, no framework for even understanding the gospel. So one of the challenges is as they learned the language and as they communicated the gospel, um, to be honest, that, that people group actually, uh, the, the way in which things had worked in their culture, they resonated more with Judas. They were like, yeah, we like that guy. Like he, he betrayed his friend to death. We do that. I mean, the guy was like, you know, how do I communicate the gospel? Well, later on, he found out that they had a concept in their culture called a peace child. I think uh, Steve's dad wrote a book actually called Peace Child, where the way that uh, two warring parties in their culture, if their tribe was warring against this tribe at war, they would give this tribe a, a, a peace child. They would literally take a child from their tribe and they would give the child to this tribe. And that tribe would adopt that child... And as long as that child lived, there would be peace between the two parties that were once at conflict or in conflict. And it was known as a peace child. And when his father heard that, he realized, man, this is the way, this is the way that to, to explain the gospel. They said, guys, he said people, Jesus is the ultimate peace child given by the father. God and us in opposition to one another, us rebelling against the Father. And he says, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And Jesus came to be the peace child, to bring peace between us and the Lord, that we might be at peace with him, that we might be justified before him. And when he got to communicate it that way, it clicked. You're telling me Jesus is a peace child? Yes, given by the Father so that we might have peace with him, have our sins washed away. And that's when it clicked, when all flesh began to see the salvation of God there in their context, and that group of people uh, giving their life to Christ. And like I said, 60 years later, actually have a relationship with other groups of people around them that they used to war with to take the gospel to other tribes in their area. So let me ask you, in closing, um, as we think about the coming of the kingdom, John saying, look, he's coming. And John really said, the kingdom's coming. Jesus says, hey, the kingdom's here. It's at hand. Here's the question I want to leave you with. Are you in the kingdom and are you living for the kingdom? Are you in the kingdom and are you living for the kingdom? And I, I understand there's a bit of a tension with that question because you're like, hey, if I'm in the kingdom, can I not be living for the kingdom? And I ask it this way on purpose. I think for some of us, the question, like the question you need to ask yourself this morning, is: do I have a relationship with Jesus? Am I in the kingdom? And maybe you've answered that question in the past with things like, Yeah, I mean a grew up Methodist, right? <laughs> grew up Baptist, parents went to church growing up. No, no, no. Do you have peace with God? Have you experienced grace in your life? Are you walking with Him daily? Do you love Him? And do you know how much He loves you? Are you in the kingdom? And are you living for the kingdom? For those of us who are like, yes, Cale, I love Christ. I know that he loves me. I know that I've been washed clean. What are you doing today to move forward the mission of God? When you look at your priorities and the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, the way you spend your effort and the intellect that God has given you, can you say, man, I'm aiming it toward the kingdom? Seeking first the kingdom, knowing all these other things will be given unto me. Are you living... For the kingdom of God. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, uh, we love you. And Lord, I pray for those who are listening right now who maybe that question about, are you in the kingdom? Maybe they've never thought about it that way before. Uh, but Father, maybe by your Holy Spirit this morning, that question is arresting them and do you really know Christ? And maybe today, for the first time, it's clear that that's different than being around Christ, being around the church, or even coming to church, having grown up in a Christian background. That's different than having a personal relationship with Jesus, repentance and faith. Father, I pray for them this morning that today would be the day where they cross that threshold and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And then, Father, I pray for those of us who know you and love you. God, will you help us to align our lives increasingly with your plan and the things that you value. God, we've got one life to live and we don't wanna waste it. We wanna live in the kingdom for the kingdom, seeking first the kingdom. Will you help us to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit? We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.